Hello there, everybody, and welcome to the WSAV Now Sports Podcast. Andrew Goldstein here on Thursday, December 23rd, two days before Christmas, chilling in the WSAV Sports Office, which is still occupied by a party of one. We do actually have a new sports reporter tentatively figured out. We hope to introduce him to you in January, but for at least a couple more weeks, it will be nobody but me, as the human beings once sang. Is that a 1980s song? 70s? Am I dating myself with that reference? I mean, it's fine. I dated myself all throughout high school, but whatever. Moving on. Uh, so, want to give you a quick preview of what we have coming up over the next few weeks, and then leap into a little bit of Border Bowl discussion, because it is getting to be that time. All right? First things first. I'm headed down to Miami next week to cover the Georgia Bulldogs in the Orange Bowl against the Michigan Wolverines. That is going to be a ton of fun, but because I'm doing that, there's going to be no podcast this week. It is going to take a week off and then return that first week of January. I'm just going to be swamped with enough stuff that I probably won't have time to line up a guest. I'd end up just sort of rambling into a microphone for 15 or 20 minutes, and that is just not really substantive enough to give you the kind of hard-hitting analysis that I know you've come to expect from this. So one week off the podcast next week, it'll come back January. Okay, got it, good. Uh, the second thing is that if the dogs win, I will most likely be headed to Indianapolis for college football championship coverage. Uh, I would imagine they're going to play Alabama, although I give Cincinnati a better chance than most of pulling out that victory. I don't know uh, what's going to go on with Alabama's wide receiver core now that John Mechie uh, sustained an injury. Uh, Ahmad Gardner is one of the best corners in the entire country for Cincinnati. I think he is capable of running with Jameson Williams. And I think Alabama is a much different offense without both Mechie and Williams at 100%. We saw it when they were playing Auburn. Williams leaves the game, and all of a sudden, they really couldn't move the ball until the final minute and change. Look, Bryce Young is amazing. He is the best quarterback in the country by far, deserved to win the Heisman. But the offense just doesn't run as smoothly. The wide receiver court isn't as deep this year uh, without Mechie Williams there. He needs both of them. So without that, Alabama, uh, the line of scrimmage, they are more easily pushed around this year than in a lot of previous seasons. I think we all saw what happened against Florida and LSU where they had less than 15, 20 net rushing yards. You can't imagine that happening to a vintage Nick Saban Bama team. Uh, so, look, Bama's still very talented, but I give Cincy a much better chance at pulling an upset than a lot of other people seem to, uh, particularly because Desmond Ritter is one of the few quarterbacks in the country that I think can actually get into a shootout and do reasonably well. Georgia, obviously not built for that. Cincinnati, I think they could. So watch that space. That's just a little bit of digression there. But um, no matter who wins that game, if Georgia wins, I'll be headed up to Indianapolis uh, next Thursday. Well, actually not next. Next week is Orange Bowl. But the week after the Orange Bowl would be Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday for coverage. And then we get back and it's Border Bowl time. So that is whew, a lot, but it's going to be so much fun. And now that is my segue into talking about 
Border Bowl. We have unveiled three-fourths of the rosters so far. We are wrapping it up tonight. Uh, if you're listening to this on Thursday with Team Low Country's offense, uh, we've been slowly rolling them out all throughout the week on WSAV. And I want to take a second to just talk about it a little bit if I can. Before I even get into the players, I want to sort of talk about how our selection process works. Uh, we ask two head coaches, uh, one for the Low Country, one for the Coastal Empire, to take over the teams. Uh, they then select their various staffs, and those staffs select the players. The head coach can consult with the folks they chose as much or as little as they want to. I know that at least one of our head coaches uh, talked with his staff quite a bit that was comprised of the various schools in his side of the bridge before selecting the 40 players that he chose. It is just 40 for each side, and I know particularly on Coastal Empire that tends to be a problem because there are a lot of schools around here. There are a lot more than 40 players deserving of this opportunity. Uh, we just sort of have the equipment and the budget to outfit 40 of them. So that's what we go with. And from there, certain players can choose to accept or decline invitations. I know there are a lot of players that are committed to big-time colleges that choose not to play in this game for various reasons. One is they could already be at school. I know that's the case with Holden Gurner out of Benedictine. He's already going to be at Auburn by the time this is played on January 15th at noon. Uh, the other reason is sometimes those colleges straight up tell kids, hey, we'd prefer it if you didn't play in all-star games and risk injury. Anytime you suit up, you are risking something happening to you. We try and make the Border Bowl as low stress an environment as possible. Different kickoff rules, no blitzing, that kind of thing. It's implicit that you're not trying to really hit people hard in this game. But obviously, anytime you suit up, the chance for injury is there. So I don't blame anyone who's got a college future to think about and doesn't want to risk that. Uh, that being said, there are a couple of guys who are committed to college that are playing in this game. You know, I think of Langston Lewis out of Islands as a prime example of that. Central Michigan wide receiver. He's showing out one more time wearing the Sharks decal on his helmet. That's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and then there are just some kids that had scheduling conflicts. Either they got a basketball game that day or they have a college visit or another all-star game to play in. All that is to say, if you don't see someone on the roster who you think should be on the roster, it's possible that they just weren't selected, but it's also possible that we reached out to them and they said, for one reason or another, no thanks. So not trying to spite them. They're not trying to spite us. Sometimes the timing just doesn't work out. That being said, we have a really good lineup uh, on both sides, actually. You know, let's start with Team Coastal Empire. On offense, you got Langston, a wide receiver. You got George Futch out of Savannah Christian, who I think uh, really didn't get the chance to show a lot of what he could do this year with how unstable Savannah Christian's quarterback situation was. They had some injuries. They could never really get into a rhythm in their passing game. But when Spencer Robichaux was there in 2020, George Futch was one of the premier wide receivers in our area, and he still had some very good games this year. So I'm looking forward to seeing him play. He's going to be joined by Alex Wynn out of Country Day, just to name one other guy. Uh, and then quarterback-wise, you got Matthew Ford out of Effingham County. 
someone that was on our game of the week against Richmond Hill. He got better as the season rolled on. I think that Wildcat pass rush kind of disrupted his timing, but when he gets a clean pocket, man, he can sling it. And then you've got Keon Edwards out of Johnson, a program that finished its season on a very high note. You know, taken down Windsor Forest, ended the year with, I believe, three wins in a row before the playoffs. So the Adam Smashers, they could make some noise. Then when I look in that backfield, you got Marcus Johnson out of Liberty County. He went off against Brantley County in the Panthers' first-round playoff game. 240 yards, four touchdowns. If he runs like that in the Border Bowl, he might be picking up an offer or two. Who knows? And by the way, I'm not just saying that. There are guys who have picked up D2, D3 offers from playing in this game. I think of Eric Phoenix, Windsor Forest, former quarterback. Benedict College is either Benedict or Miles. I'm going to look that up on my phone while I'm talking right now. Um, but he got spotted by a scout, by an assistant coach at the Border Bowl because he had a good performance there, didn't have any offers, got the offer, and now he's an all-SEAC player. So it does happen. People do get college opportunities because they play in this game. And by the way, it is Benedict College. I don't know why I thought it was Miles. But yeah, Eric Phoenix is just one example of a guy who really helped his college prospects by playing in this game. And I think that's what a lot of other guys are going to be looking to do. And then up front, by the way, for Team Coastal Empire, you got... Ashton Jackson, Larry Johnson, a duo of big 300-pound-plus linemen. Uh, this is a road-grading team, Team Coastal Empire. I wouldn't be surprised uh, if you saw a lot of runs up the gut and then a lot of quick passes to give George Futch, Langston Lewis, uh, Alex Wynn some space to operate in. And then when you look at Team Coastal Empire's defense, I think the star of this unit is Jawan Johnson, Calvary Day cornerback. He is going to be committing actually the same week of this game, the same seven-day time period. I think it's the 21st that he's going to be committing, and he's got some D1 offers. So he is sort of the breadwinner on that Coastal Empire defense, and uh, I think that he could really make some noise, show out, hey, maybe get him another offer. Who knows? Uh, and I think there's a lot of talent alongside him when you look at the rest of this Coastal Empire roster. I mean, there are kids all over the place that had to uh, unfortunately get passed over for this game that we would have loved to have because there is just a uh, you know, real unfair amount of talent here. I mean, you got Quan Proctor out of McIntosh County Academy. He's got D1 offers. Uh, Caleb Womble, Peyton Cromwell out of Savannah Christian. They are some real big-time guys. I mean, Peyton Cromwell, I believe, over 100 tackles on the year. I think he's going to be playing that middle linebacker role, if I had to guess. Uh, and then joining Jawan Johnson in the secondary, Jashard Ritchie out of Jenkins, Kaz Creasy out of Liberty County. Uh, Creasy, by the way, also a really good wide receiver. And then Tommy Bliss out of Richmond Hill. Look, I don't know if any college is going to pick him up. I don't know what his measurables are, how he grades on their various criteria but just based on the intangibles this kid is a 15 out of 10 you know he could play wide receiver corner and a special teamer I think he blocked like four kicks this year and he did it after suffering a really gruesome injury that caused him to miss 
the entire 2020 season. Connor, when he was here, did a terrific story about Tommy that I would encourage everybody to go watch. I actually think he was our first athlete of the week. So I'm excited to see Tommy suit up again. And that's really the goal of this game, to give the most deserving seniors in our area or at least most of the deserving seniors in our area, as many as we can, one last chance to put on the pads and get out there. Because you know, a lot of people don't realize that your last game of football is different than your last game of any other sport. Baseball, there's always some beer league softball team you can join. Basketball, there's always a pickup basketball league. If you play golf, man, you can do that until the day you die. Tennis, pretty much same thing. Football, unless you play in college, your high school career is it for you. Once you take off the pads, you're done. So to kids who are in the Country Day versus Calvary rivalry, let's say, or the Effingham County versus South Effingham rivalry, that game is their Super Bowl. So the chance to put on those pads one more time, man, it is special. It's something that we are so excited to be able to offer kids because it's something that a lot of kids don't get to do. So with that, I want to shift over to Team Low Country for a second. And I don't want to give away too much about Team Loco's offense because we're going to be unveiling that tonight. I will say, however, that we did not get Jalen Sneed to come play, unfortunately. Star linebacker out of Hilton Head had to go play in something called the, I don't know, Under Armour All-American Bowl. Yes, he's big time in us now. Then he had to go to, I guess, Notre Dame instead of coming and playing in the Border Bowl. Again, so, you know, big timey right there. No, I'm just kidding. Jalen's a great guy, and we certainly wish him well. But there is a lot of talent to go around on this low country defense, even without him. And I want to just sort of recap some of the names now. On the defensive line, Matthew Larkby. Sneed's teammate on the Seahawks, I think he's a guy that has flown under the radar for a lot of the year. He was getting in the backfield, causing problems all year long for the Seahawks. I know he was hitting me up on Twitter with his most recent tape, and he, that was something that I made sure to mention and take into account. So for all you recruits out there, by all means, tag me in your highlights, tag me in anything you want me to see because it's a big area and I don't see everything. So if you bring stuff to my attention, we certainly make notes about that for later on. Jake Rodney Brown out of Hilton Head Prep, he is a do-it-all guy. He plays fullback, he plays defensive line. I mean, at Hilton Head Prep, it's such a small school that you basically have to do everything there. And that's why you get these really well-rounded kids. I mean, Hilton Head Christian, same thing. Caleb Tkachik, or is it Tkachik? Yeah, I think it's Caleb Tkachik out of May River. Uh, great pass rusher. The Sharks actually have a couple of guys on this squad that I'm interested to see. Caleb Tkachik being one of them. He was a terror at defensive end for two, three years now. Linebackers, man, I'm so excited to welcome Jackson Lanier, the Bulldog out of Hilton Head Christian. Look, Jace Blackshear, the quarterback, he makes the highlights. Speedy Robinson, he's on Friday Night Blitz. But anyone asks you the soul, the heart of this Hilton Head Christian State title team, it's Jackson Lanier. I mean, he is the one at the first practice when he didn't like something that he was seeing, if guys were going through drills too slow, he was the one to circle guys up and say, hey, this is not acceptable. You need to pick it up tomorrow. And he would lead by example there. He's not the biggest kid. He's not the fastest kid. But his heart, his leadership ability, 
unquestioned. So Jackson Lanier totally deserves to be on this team. Brandon Howard out of Thomas Hayward, four-time state title winner, and he's going to close out his career looking for one more trophy, I suppose. And then Cade Carpenter, Cam Scott out of May River, uh, both deserve to be on this team for the way they played this year. Interesting to note, by the way, that the head coach of Team Low Country is Bryce Lybrand out of Buford. By the way, I don't think I mentioned Team Coastal Empire's head coach. It's Kyle Hockman out of New Hampstead. But with Lybrand, he saw this May River team up close and personal when the Sharks won 24-21 in the de facto region championship game. And as a state runner-up, he very justifiably could have chosen his own guys and said, I want to lean on the players that got me to my level of success this season. But not only did he not do that, not only did he balance it out over the low country, but he made a point to go and get guys from Buford's biggest rival in May River. So I think that was a great thing to have done, and I think it's going to pay dividends for him a little bit later on when this game's played. On the defensive back squad, you got two other May River guys, Jayon Allen and Nazir Chisholm. I want to talk about Allen for just a second because we saw him on our game of the week go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Zyron Odom, who is a good 6'4". I mean, he is an imposing wide receiver for Buford. Came over from the basketball team initially. He's not an easy guy to cover, particularly when you're in single coverage against him. Jayon Allen drew that assignment most of the time. He locked him down. I don't think Odom had a catch-all game. I only think he had one or two targets. So Jayon Allen is a guy that I'm really looking forward to seeing play. Not a flashy guy, but he goes in there and he does his job. Jamie and Risher out of Wade Hampton, uh, more known as a quarterback, and I think he might be on offense too. Not sure. We'll have to see when the offense gets revealed tonight, but... As a DB, he is athletic. He has great closing speed. I'm interested to see what he can bring to this team. And then, by the way, I didn't even mention special teams. Trevor Weldon, kicker out of Hilton Head Prep, is going to be joining the Border Bowl squad. He has, like, 50-yard range. And that's super uncommon at the high school level. So when you get good kickers in there, it kind of changes the complexion of the game because now all of a sudden you're not going for it on 4th and 12 from the 20 because you have to. You're not sort of calling plays assuming that you won't have the chance to kick a field goal. It sort of ups the professionalism of the game when you have a pair of kickers uh, in Weldon, and I would have to look up Team Coastal Empire's kicker. Oh, it's Cooper Bachman of Islands. That can make field goals of a respectable dif uh, distance. So I think that the special teams in this game is going to be one of the subtle factors that shapes how good the contest actually is. So that's just a quick rundown of the Border Bowl rosters so far. I want to thank, sincerely thank, the entire coaching staff of both sides for doing this because they don't get paid for this. They are volunteering their own time to come to practices before the games. I think they have three or four of them to do the walkthrough that morning to make sure that this is as good, as competitive, and as safe a game as it can possibly be. I also want to thank the folks over at the Chatham County Parks Commission. I believe that's who runs Memorial Stadium for letting us use that stadium uh, and for maintaining it so well. 
This is a hard job. I'm sure there are a lot of people who want that place on a weekend to weekend basis. The fact that they are willing to work with us and reserve it so we can give these seniors one last chance to show their stuff, man, it is so appreciated because I don't think we would be doing this necessarily if we couldn't be guaranteeing a good field. You know, if we had to hold it on a high school field that hadn't been used for a month or so, and all of a sudden you have to get the grounds crew back out there, I mean, I'm not saying we couldn't do it, but it would be a pretty big headache and a lot to ask of one particular school. The fact that we are able to partner with the county and they're willing to work with us on this, man, it just means everything. And if I can give you a pitch to buy tickets beyond just the quality of the game, it's that all this benefits Ronald McDonald House charities. Tickets are 10 bucks. All of it goes to charity, literally every cent. And they do such good work around the community for underprivileged kids, for those who are really in need. Man, it is a worthy cause to be partnering with, and it's something that we take a lot of pride in. You know, we always want to do a good job. We always want to make sure everything is top-notch over here at WSAB Productions, but we want to doubly make sure of that when there is an outside organization relying on us. And Ronald McDonald has been such a great partner, not just on Border Bowl, but on a lot of other things that we do, that we want to come through for them put on a good game that is going to raise some money to go to their charitable causes. So please, $10. It's so cheap. What, what's $10? It's like two days worth of coffee. Go online, wsav.com slash border bowl. You can find a link to order tickets there, or you can buy them at the gate. Cheer on your school, cheer on your guys. Wear your school colors, wear a t-shirt, bring a flag. We're going to have some kind of school pride angle worked in here. I'm not exactly sure what it is. We're talking about that over the next week or two. But uh, we could get some kind of contest going, I'm sure. Anyways, that's enough for Border Bowl talk. Order tickets, put them in the stocking, or I'll know. I'll know, and I'm not speaking to you anymore. That is a promise, okay? No, it's not a promise. I still love you either way. But seriously, buy Border Bowl tickets. Anywho, that's enough yammering for me on the week. I want to introduce our guest. Our guest is the head coach of Savannah State Women's Basketball. If you hadn't known, they're off to a real good start. 9-0 on the year. Uh, I believe it is their longest winning streak to start the season in over two decades now. 25 years, I will post the exact number in the description of this podcast. But Cedric Baker uh, donated his time to us over the holiday season to come on and chat all things Tiger Hoops for about 15, 20 minutes. I really enjoyed my conversation with him. I think the Savannah State team is well positioned to, to uh, maybe win the SEAC tournament, maybe go into the D2 playoffs. I mean, we'll see. Uh, I certainly think they can do it. Uh, and I just want his take on who some of the big contributors are this year and what he thinks of the state of SEAC sports, the state of high school basketball in Savannah, and also the state of HBCUs in general. I mean, we saw the big recruitment news uh, getting Travis Hunter to Jackson State. There seems to be this energy around HBCUs, uh, more so even in the last couple years than in the years prior. And I just want to see from the inside what that looks like and whether any of that is rubbed off on Savannah State. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is enough 
of my monologue for the week. Please enjoy the holiday season. Please spend some time with your family, take a load off, and then get ready for college football next week. It's coming. It's going to be a big one. But for now, here's Cedric Baker. All right, here we are with Cedric Baker, the head coach of the Savannah State women's basketball team. Actually, let me revise that, the undefeated Savannah State women's basketball team. Very important to put that in there. Cedric, congrats on the great start to the season, and uh, thanks for joining me. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No problem. So let's start here. I imagine that you had a sense that this team was going to be good coming into the season. Nine games in, undefeated. Did you have any sense that that's how it was going to go right before you tipped off your first game? Um, just to be on, just to be honest with you, Andrew. You know, each year we put together a schedule, and of course, you want to win. You know, every game, every athletic contest on that schedule. Um, of course, you know we want to take one game at a time. Um, but there were some significant games that I knew would give us a greater challenge than others, just being honest with you. But um, once we played um, Georgia College, which is a very uh, well-coached team, um, experienced team out of the Peach Belt Conference, uh, once we were able to defend them at a very high level, um, we were able to win that game with a comfortable score, kept the score around 50 where I wanted to be. Um, I thought this team was well on their way to doing some special things this year. One of the things that really sticks out about your team is the depth. You've got 10 players that are playing 15 minutes a game or more. I think one's sitting at 14.9. But, you know, a lot of coaches don't go that deep into their bench. What is it about the makeup of this team that makes you feel comfortable basically uh, going all the way to the end of your bench almost? Well, I, I tell you what, um, just to, you know, um, expound on that, um, our president, new president of the university, um, she even mentioned to me, she was like, man, you have everything, you know, in terms of in terms of quality depth. But I contribute that to the young ladies. Um, of course, you know, scholarships are very hard to come by, Andrew. But this team is very special because they have made that sacrifice uh, for each other, have given up a lot, have given a lot um, to this program, to this season season. They will never have another year to play with this group of young ladies ever in life again. Uh, we have some kids who have returned, graduated last year, but came back, you know, for that extra year uh, due to the NCAA extending their eligibility clock. So with the depth came with um, a huge sacrifice on their part. But uh, we are very deep at every position, um, quality depth, I, I would say. And uh, we, we have some experience. We have some youth. And we also have um, some some season experience and some seasoned players. Yeah, I think it's easy to forget now, but uh, you guys really had it rough with COVID all throughout because uh, you had to start late last year. No fans in the arena of any kind. Uh, there were some games that had to get shuffled around uh, due to possible exposures at different schools and stuff like that. A year later, how do you see the results of that season manifesting either positively or negatively on the lineup you have now? Um, basically, um, you know, I met with the team. It's, it's their team. And I asked them, were they willing to um, abide by all the protocols, make the sacrifice, um, travel a little different and do things a little different than we normally would in terms of our travel manifest, in terms of our day-to-day -day operations. And they, they were willing. So uh, we maximize on that year. 
um, just to get, you know, seven games in. It was a great experience. Uh, we were able to play some quality games last year. And um, we just built on that. And they were refreshed coming back into this season and just kind of building on that momentum. But it was definitely an adjustment, um, not just for the players, but for the coaches as well. And it has helped me as a staff because that's what we do. We make adjustments. We call timeouts. Uh, make adjustments, halftime adjustments. So it's, it's, it's been a blessing. It's been a blessing um, because we had to step away and, and do some things different, but it's all about making a sacrifice uh, for the teams. And, and when the young ladies uh, see the leadership making that sacrifice, they're willing to dig all in and give 100%. Yeah, before I get into this season, you mentioned different travel protocols last year. What were road trips like? Because at some level, you got to all ride the bus together at some point. You got to ride to the stadium together at some point. How did you manage that? I imagine that must have been logistically very difficult. Um, logistically, um, of course, we had roster management. We had to cut the roster. Um, typically, uh, we'll go in a day before, get acclimated to the arena. But we had some one-day trips. Man, We had some four-hour, five-hour, you know, one-day trips. Um, couldn't go into the restaurant, sit down, eat a, eat a decent meal. Um, everything was to go. Um, so we had to just basically get off the bus, um, go into the arena and play. And then also, you know, we're, we're accustomed to having our fans and traveling well and different cities having alumni come out. So we were basically our own cheerleaders. So, um, of course, on the bench, it was, uh, you know, social distancing protocol. So we, we couldn't, you know, congregate like we would normally. So it was basically um, all about preparation. And, and in terms of that, we had to just amplify, you know, our intensity in terms of, of preparation, even down to Andrew, even down to um, having wireless mics in practice so young ladies can hear instruction, you know, through masks and, and all of that. So it was an adjustment, but one that we um, made and we were successful at. With some of the games I went to last year, Leandria Gillis is one of the players that really stood out to me. I think her ball handling, her level of comfort in traffic uh, sort of provided the offense with a spark. And here she is this year sort of doing that same thing. What can you say about her development over the last couple of months? Um, Leandria Gillis, um, uh, 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 I call her a local kid. She's, you know, from the, you know, um, Adrian, Georgia area, you know, not too far from Savannah. But overall, her development um, came in with, with great uh, collegiate size. Uh, she stands about 5'10", 5'11", um, just a lot of natural ability. She, um, she can shoot the ball. She, she can shoot the ball beyond the arc. Um, she can get to the basket and finish left and right. But her overall development, most college players, in my opinion, get about you know, 2% better. And that's in terms of their overall basketball IQ. But she's embraced, you know, our communication system on the defensive end and on the offensive end. And she's contributed this year and over the past two years on both, end, on both sides of the basketball. But overall, I would say her overall de development basically, you know, is her focus off the court. She's a great student, amazing student. Um, she's a biology student. So I believe what you do off the court is a direct correlation to what you're going to do on the court. And because she's, she's definitely focused off the court, it, it carryovers on the court. So she's a very coachable kid, um, mentally tough kid, and uh, she never gets too high, never gets too low, just kind of stay rock steady. You mentioned Leandria being a local kid. You've got several of those on this team. 
I know, uh, is it Asia or Asia Brown? Um, How do you pronounce that? Um, Asia Brown. Asia Brown, okay. Yeah, Asia Brown from Swainsboro. Sorry, you know, my, my career, I'm just a little bit particular about the pronunciations, as you yeah. can probably figure. Uh, yeah, Tabitha Deal out of uh, Woodville Tompkins, uh, Jashiah Jones forward out of Vidalia, and then you got uh, Taquasha Lampkin out of uh, Buford, went to Battery Creek. You know, it seems like you've really put the onus on recruiting in that 50 to 75 mile circle around you. And I remember talking with Sean Quinn when he was there for football, that was his emphasis too. You know, how would you evaluate the state of high school basketball in the coastal empire and low country? Because, you know, I feel like there are very few who sort of get the whole holistic approach like you do. Well, I'm, I'm gonna be honest with you in terms of recruiting and, and where women's basketball is in terms of a, a region, in terms of this state, in terms of this country, um, it definitely has, grow, has grown leaps and bounds. And for the state of Georgia, everyone recruits this state. So it's, it's very hard to just keep those kids, you know, local. But I, I will say, um, you know, hats off to our administration. We have a beautiful facility, uh, beautiful campus, uh, great academic programs. And that helps in the, in the, in the, in the broad perspective of recruiting. You know, when you can come on campus and um, not miss a beat. And when they go to other campuses, it's, it's a great comparison and they can make an intelligent decision. So we just try to present things, you know, first class, um, aesthetically, um, our infrastructure so that we can be competitive in, in, in the recruiting um, market for high school, you know, transfer kids, junior college. And, and I commend our administration for wanting to do things you know, first class and, and understand um, that our students are, are the front porch of this university. You got the majority of your SEAC schedule ahead, and it feels like with everybody playing a really weird season last year and then having their 2019-2020 uh, season stunted by the pandemic, uh, it feels like I kind of have a hard time getting a handle on who the top dogs are, you know, who is where they were two years ago, who sort of has a different team. Uh, when you look down your schedule, who are the really uh, big game, you know, who are the really big teams or what are the really big games that you have uh, circled? Well, I'll be honest with you. All of the SIAC games are big games. Uh, this league, any, any given night, um, if you don't prepare, um, you're preparing to lose. So we have a league of great coaches, um, you know, from Kim Pooler up at, you know, Lane College to Coach Powell down at Tuskegee, Coach Rice over at Benedict College, you know, my former team. Um, so every, every night uh, we have to prepare. But right now, uh, Benedict has, has been picked first in our league. Uh, we were picked second behind them. Um, they're ranked um, in the South region right now. I think they got some early um, top 25 votes, you know, in NCAA Division II, which is good for our league. And, and I want to promote the league and, and we want to position ourselves too to be a top team regionally and nationally. But uh, Benedict will definitely be, you know, a test for us. They have the um, preseason player of the year um, and, and they are the returning, you know, tournament champions. So they're def if it's a team that we have to circle, it would definitely be a Benedict, definitely be a Tuskegee. Um, I remember that game where, where we lost to them, you know, uh, first round, second round of the tournament there in Rock Hill two years ago. So we, we definitely want to prepare ourselves uh, for that game. 
for that um, moment, and we want to be successful. Over the last couple of weeks, well, really, it stretches back much further than that, but particularly the last few weeks, it seems like there's been a groundswell of excitement around HBCUs. You had a five-star uh, football commit to Jackson State. Uh, the Celebration Bowl sort of returned better than ever this year. Do you feel like there is an increased level of excitement uh, when you talk to kids about the benefits of going to an HBCU? Do you find that resonating now more than it might have even a couple of years ago? Yes, um, I would say definitely, you know, there's only one Deion Sanders, you know, with, with, with right. Jackson State. and uh, Exactly. That a, is sort of a unique component that none of the other ones can claim. Right. That's, it's, it's only one Deion Sanders, but I definitely would say 100 um, percent the exposure that he has, you know, brought to Jackson State. Um, of course, what he did in this state, you know, a lot of people are familiar with him from the Braves, from from following him with Atlanta Falcons. So it's definitely, you know, he's got the country motivated and um, a lot of eyes are on HBCUs. But um, of course, you know, when when expect, you know, when resources come, when attention come, you know, there are, there are expectations which which come come with that. And and as far as the Savannah State, we've always tried to do things you know, first class on a, so that when we get to a championship, if you have championship practices, if you're, if you're accustomed to having that philosophy, you know, day in and day out, um, in order to win a championship, you got to have championship practices and, and prepare yourself, prepare yourself daily. But um, it's definitely a great buzz around HBCUs. But um, of course, when kids take interest in our programs and our academic programs, um, we definitely want to be ready to uh, be receptive and receive them uh, with open arms and, and be prepared. And, and I think in the past, uh, we have done that. And just, you know, with Ezene Kalu, top 100 player who made a decision to come to Savannah State, played in the Olympics, um, that's, that's a, a, a living example of, of just being ready um, to compete in such a competitive world of recruitment. Yeah. And then the last couple of questions I want to ask you just to bring it back to this current team. Defense has really been the hallmark of this squad. I think you're holding opponents to a little under 33 percent from the field, less than 20 percent from three. You know, when you look at uh, the, this entire team, I'm sure everyone has contributed in some way. But who are the real sort of defensive standouts, do you think? You know, when someone hands you a ballot for like, all right, who's going to be first team all conference defense? Who, which names are you putting on that ballot? Well, I'll definitely say uh, defense has been a staple of the program. Um, it's, it's hard to mess up our defensive system. You know, we just kind of plug them in, plug them out, you know, every year, Andrew. But um, definitely um, Sequasia Lampkin, kid from Buford, um, Amari Hurd, you know, out of Atlanta, uh, Mia Goosby. Um, they have been, you know, the point of our defense. Um, they have been able to pick up ball, stop ball, um, protect the rim. Um, they've done an amazing job by making sure, you know, they communicate, you know, our assignments, making sure we are aligned, of course, and they're both, you know, athletic to get in a stance to defend almost anybody in the country. And um, they stand at great size. You know, Amari Hurd is at 6'1", um, Rangy, um, Tequaja Lampkin is at 6'1", 6'2". So um, they, they eat up space. And um, they have been, you know, the anchor of our defensive system this year and, and very reliable. And um, 
I definitely would recommend them for defensive player of the year, you know, if there is such an award. Yeah, the last question I wanted to ask you, I noticed that you've got no less than eight players who are averaging at least to steal a game. And I know particularly with the season you played last year, it was hard to practice together, to really get cohesive. Uh, how have you managed to get a defense together that is aggressive in creating turnovers and yet isn't putting themselves out of position on, you know, letting up open driving lanes while they're gambling for steals? How do they walk that line between aggression while still being disciplined. Yeah, with, with with the rule changes in women's basketball, you know, they went to a 30, you know, second shot clock. They also went with uh, freedom of movement. So you can only like stove touch one time. So um, it's all about support, Andrew. And um, the kids have really bought into our defensive system, which, which we call, we give a lot of gap support. Um, so they have to be mentally tough, have to have each other's back. And um, they've been able to execute that system, but at the, at the same time, be able to utilize their athleticism, their basketball IQ. And of course, when you can score the basketball, you know, they get excited, you know, about playing defense. And, and also it allows them when you get a comfortable lead to get out and challenge passing lanes and be a little bit more aggressive. But um, offensively, it's only one ball. So that's the best way to get a team, in my opinion, you know, on one page and pulling in one direction is to have a sound, you know, defensive system. And, and we've been able to do that um, for year for year in and year out. Um, this year, um, they have definitely just, you know, came out and, and the record, record shows. Well, that is everything I had for you. Thank you so much for joining me. Before I let you go, uh, is there anything else you wanted to add and uh, any message you want to give to Tiger Nation out there? Man, I, I appreciate the opportunity, Andrew. And I uh, just want to, you know, of course, you know, say to our fans, you know, we can only do so much, you know, with, with, with the budget, but I really appreciate them coming out, buying tickets, buying season tickets. And um, my hat's off to, you know, President Kimberly Ballard-Washington. She's new um, on campus. Um, it's been very refreshing um, having her arrival. And uh, we're just building off that, that momentum. And happy holidays to Tiger Nation and happy holidays to the city of Savannah. Savannah State women's basketball is going to be back in action January 3rd at Spring Hill College in Mobile. Their next home game is Saturday, January 8th against Lane College. And by the way, really circling that Clark Atlanta night on the 17th. Uh, they were the homecoming opponent for football. I know that always brings out a good crowd whenever yes, Savannah State and Clark get together in any sport. So, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, thank you so much, Cedric, and uh, happy holidays to you. All right. Happy holidays to you. Thank you.